Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, our feature presentation. Today, I'm speaking with hair designer Martin Samuel. Martin has worked on an amazing variety of projects from Pink Floyd's The Wall to Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins to Pirates of the Caribbean to Evita with Madonna. Martin chats about training in salons in London, his work with David Bowie, and how important it is to have a strong, committed team with you on those massive projects. Pictures up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Martin. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Martin, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... A hairstylist. You did? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, I, yeah, I, I was like, you know, used to come home from school and watch the Hollywood movies on television and... Look at all the glamorous women, you know, the Lana Turners and the Rita Hayworths and the glamorous men with all their wonderful hair slicked back and, you know, all that glamour Mm. and Busby Barkley musicals and just that whole thing was just, like, fascinating to me. And and I I kind of, you know, didn't really – I wanted to be in fact – I wanted to be part of it. I I didn't quite know where, but – you know, the hair was always the thing that really, like, wowed me. And uh, so in those days, you know, I, in England, you could do, you know, it was early 60s, late 50s, early 60s. I got a job as a Saturday junior in a shop. Okay. And used to go there every week working. And then I was allowed to join model nights. And so, you know, I started doing hair, 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 as well as doing all the cleaning and all the you know, so all those things you do when you're a Saturday junior. Okay. And gradually sort of, you know, the guy that had the salon said, you you know, you were truly quite gifted. Just keep it going. So yeah. by the time I left school, he gave me a job at 15. Oh, wow. And I was on the floor by 16. Nice. Did they have apprenticeships at that point or? Yes, they did. Yes, yes, okay. yes. So it was an apprenticeship. Yeah three-year apprenticeship but if you did it I mean I'd already practically done the the apprenticeship by the time I left school at 15 yeah so, you know by 15 and a half 16 I was had a clientele wow that's awesome and how did your parents feel about that oh well they were delighted you know oh, absolutely good. delighted my mother was always my biggest uh, fan you know and I would always you know practice all the hairdos and the rollers and on her and her friends and my oh, girlfriends and yeah, sure you know, all of that kind of stuff you know <laughs> And all the time, kind of like everything was changing, you know, it was the sort of 60s revolution in England. So the whole beginning of Carnaby Street and, you know, Vidal Sassoon, who was my complete and utter mentor, Leonard, all these fabulous, fabulous, Rose Ivansky, all these names I could mention, you know, that people aren't aware of now, but they were all enormous salons, you know, and, and, and all adventuring with fantastic hair cutting and 
changing the whole face of fashion, Mary Quant, Twiggy, yeah. all of that whole, you know, all the geometric stuff. It was all very, very innovative at the time. And, of course, we were all free. You know, we were all free to get out and go and do anything we wanted to. So That's amazing. So it's pretty exciting. It was a very exciting time. And, you know, and so I kind of branched out. You know, I left eventually, went into another salon, sort of upgraded, upgraded. And, and then I, I went to work for a friend, of, a friend of mine called Alan McEwen, mm-hmm. who had this amazing salon in, in the West End. And he had, had a clientele of show business people, very show busy. And uh, so I kind of got into that. Also, it was the first time that they were sending out people to do hair on commercials. Oh, wow. Okay. Commercial industry has suddenly started to take off and become very, very interesting. The kind of commercials that were being made weren't just like run of the mill. There were all sorts of people like Ridley Scott, Tony Scott, Alan Parker, Hugh Hudson, Adrian Lyon. All these people had open companies and were making these amazing commercials from period to amazing stories futuristic i mean it was just an amazing time so he started sending out a team of people on on commercials oh wow i know so i kind of (laughs) i kind of got into that then i made a few contacts and then i was waiting for a friend of mine who was opening a first unisex salon in london to open in baker street next to the Beatles store Mm -hmm. and i was going to join him as a creative director which i did And as well as being the creative director in the salon and building up the salon, my job was to go and do all the outside work with photographic advertising for the salon, hair, that is. And so I got into the print world. So the print world was absolutely fascinating to me. Models, photographers that were all of the day, David Bailey, Duffy, Terence Donovan, all these amazing people. And what with the commercials and the print... I knew that I was on my way to getting into what I wanted to do, which was the film industry. And so more and more I was working on commercials, more and more I was working with amazing people, amazing makeup artists that are all trained at the BBC. Uh, And so I learnt and learnt and learnt on all these commercials because they were so intense, the content. You know, sometimes we'd have big period shoots, you know, all those wonderful Hovis commercials that Tony Scott and Ridley Scott did. So I learned a lot about period. I started learning a lot about period and watching lace being laid on and learning about wigs. And it was an incredible learning experience. And so I was quick to learn uh, about research, about all those things. And so gradually I got into the film industry and the directors that I was working with, like Alan Parker, was doing his first movie and mm-hmm. I got invited to join there so that was my first the first thing that I did which is a movie called No Hard Feelings yeah yeah that's and amazing so that was your first full-time film, film. Yeah. yeah yeah it was a television film 1940s very dramatic mm-hmm. and uh, I went on to do a lot of movies with Alan Parker yeah, who awesome. recently he passed away. Yeah. Um, but fantastic man. You know, some of my best work is 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 with him. You know, Evita was amazing. And cool. Pink Floyd, The Wall was fantastic. So anyway, and then I got asked to do a film called Stardust with David Essex and Adam Faith and Larry Hagman. Yeah, I had a bit of an excited moment, I have to say, when I was looking at your IMDb and I saw that you'd worked with David Essex. I was like, that's very yeah, cool. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was so funny and so delightful and so gorgeous. Oh, and uh, I worked with him, he used to do his hair a lot, you know, apart from that movie. But mm. anyway, that movie was period intense. 
of mm -hmm. England at that time. And it was a lot of wigs and a lot of design, and it was fantastic. We were in England and came out to L.A. to do some at the end to do some location work and shot in Los Angeles and shot in Florida, in Miami. Okay. Wow. So, you know, that was kind of like coming to LA was like, you know, well, this is it. You know, I'm, it was amazing. And I, my mum, my mother lived here, actually, funnily enough. Oh, okay. uh, she re remarried and, and she was living here. So I came here with my little son of six weeks old and mm -hmm. my wife, Mary. And, uh, you know, we had a fantastic time, met loads of people. And we said, oh, my God, that's it. We just want to go back. That's that's where we, that's that's going to be our home. You know, where you want to be in Los yeah. Angeles. That's awesome. Fantastic. I was going to just go back and ask you about yeah. when you were learning to work with wigs. Was yeah. there one particular person that was kind of guiding you through that or you were picking up bits and pieces from well, everybody? I was kind of picking up lots of pits, bits and pieces from everybody, you know, that I was working with. I was, as I said, you know, I was working with this amazing different collection of makeup artists mm. that all BBC trained because they didn't have men. You couldn't, if BBC wouldn't take men. Oh, wow. Okay. So they'd done their wig training through they'd BBC. They'd done their makeup right. and their hairstyling and, yeah. their, and their beard work and everything. Yeah. I mean, their training is so intense, as you know. Yeah. So I, I just learned. I watched and they were willing to show me. So then there was this amazing wig place in London called, God, what's it called? Uh, wig Creations. And Suzanne Stoke Monkton, I don't know whether you've ever heard of her. She's a wonderful hairstylist. She worked there. She was a young okay. girl. You know, we were all kids yeah. know, growing up. And we had a great relationship. And I would get my wigs from Wig Creations. And in those days, when you went and had, you know, chose a wig or wanted a wig for, say, 1792, you would get a wig beautifully dressed. And that's how they, they sent their work out. They didn't, oh, wow. you, yeah, they had hairstylists in there. So that's just the way it worked. So working with her and getting these wigs and then keeping them into the styles that, you know, when you had them out for a while, it would, you know, you'd have to work on it yeah. to keep it the way it was. And really, and, and learning about the lace and learning how to the application. And so that was my first introduction to being very involved in wig work yeah that's amazing that they would send them out pre-style oh, yeah no that's yeah. the way it was always done yeah wow yeah yeah that's yeah. So amazing absolutely amazing <laughs> yeah you it was just the way it was I mean that's yeah. just the way it was but I could jump ahead to some instant if you would like to hear it about that situation Absolutely. on pirates. So okay. when I when I got you know I was offered the pirates of the Caribbean one, mm -hmm. and I knew the content, which was so varied of all the you know period work, yeah. apart from Johnny and apart from the design work of the pirates and all of mm -hmm. that. There was so much in number one of period work of the soldiers, the white wigs, the yeah. dark wigs, the, the 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 glamour wigs for the women and the men all of that period, and I knew that I could get all those wigs from London ready styled mm. so that they would all come and the um, – I mean, I had, you know, started the film with 20 hairstylists yeah, because we started all the background stuff. And so I wanted it all to be so simple for them that they wouldn't have to kind of create all this stuff. And also the cost of hiring wigs in London at that bulk price at mm. uh, the bulk quantity that you wanted was 
fractional, wow. fractional to what, you know, the Whig situation is here in, in Los Angeles. And especially starting from scratch. Yeah. So I had like 300 wigs that I got from Wig Creations. At the time, they joined Berman's costume house by that okay. by those years yeah so i they did a deal with me and booth production and it was like beyond price i'm not going to go into that but the, <laughs> the it, 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 you know and the producers allowed it to happen i mean it still came to a lot of money yeah but you know they were getting all this stuff and i said you know this is we'll use this mm. even when we break it down to use it for other stuff how you do yeah. When we finished using it for this period, we'll use it for this and we'll use it for that. And we'll just carry this whole stock of wigs for the next four months. That's amazing. I love that. And that's how it worked. And, and, and all those hairstylists, I mean, we had like two weeks of training and they just unpacked everything and I went through everything and, you know, and they were thrilled. They were so, ex- it was so exciting for them. All these wonderful 706 hairstylists, you know, they'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's amazing. Opening these boxes and boxes and boxes of boxes of these fabulous wigs all done and, you know, sorting them out to the right background people and then learning about you know what to do with them and how to keep them and how to change them and it was it was a great learning experience for that whole crew absolutely that's amazing yeah I'm always a little disappointed in the lack of rental options in Los Angeles (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. well that's it I mean as I said to you I'm so used to I was used to this other way Mm. And so when I researched it here, it was like, oh, my God, I, I got to do something. So, yeah. you know, I went to where I knew and it worked. So that's amazing. I know it was actually it was fantastic. Yeah. Thinking about kind of, I guess, how everything works now and when people are coming up and wanting to learn how to work with wigs, what advice would you give hairstylists? Well, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful people you know wonderful hairstylists that are so equipped in the knowledge of wig application as we know and the 706 do all these wonderful you know showcase stuff and training stuff which is invaluable to people wanting to see watch and learn about it the beauty schools these days i think you know offer a much higher training in that kind of stuff and they bring all these specialists in mm. so and then you know obviously the practical side of it of doing it is invaluable i mean that's the way you really learn yeah is that like, repetitive is, nature is, isn't it yeah it's just by you know doing it but that's what i would the advice i would i always give is just to you know watch and learn mm. go to as many seminars as many learning situations about lace and about wigs and about periods and about application and yeah that's just gathering as much knowledge as possible gathering as much knowledge as possible and doing as much practical as you possibly can Mm. because that's the only way you perfect it really don't you think I think so I think I I mean I know so I I, that's my my own experience you know when you start you're so nervous with the lace and the application and the wrapping and this and that you know so it's only by trial and error Mm. that you perfect that whole thing and your eye i mean you've either got an eye for it and you know wrapping the head so the shape of the head is still there and you know working out if it's a man's wig or it's a toupee or you know the best placing for 
the wrap and you know so that you're going to get that lovely shape to it mm. which is always so important I mean how often do you see a great looking hairstyle wig mm. on someone mm. with a great bump at the back or something <laughs> do you know what I mean where it's yeah. all gathered together at the bottom of the nape or something where yeah. it hasn't been wrapped properly yeah which is so disappointing I know, get that foundation right and you're away laughing. Yeah. I think too it's it's great to work in crowd rooms where wigs yes. don't quite they're not made for the background. They're not made for those artists and they don't don't quite work. So you need to troubleshoot and figure things out. I think that really also helps. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you're getting onto a good, uh, with a, with a good hairstylist and good makeup artist on a film that they're going to sort of have you down there first of all and train you up show you exactly what they want doing and how to, mm. how they want it done, you know, then, then that is fantastic yeah. in those big crowd rooms, you know, and I honestly, I've had more great experiences than I have had bad experiences with bg hairstylists because that's good (laughs) you know i mean and i've been you know i've been doing here films here for the last you know 20 odd years 25 years and i've said i've had more good experience and less bad experience with people not knowing what they were doing that's brilliant I mean, 706 is amazing, you know, amazing. And, of course, you know, I mean, uh, coming from England, I came from a very good situation about Mm. wigs, lace and period. You know, my training was very intense. So when I came here, I had a good reputation, you know, as being knowledgeable about lace and, and hair lace and stuff. Absolutely. That's awesome. So when you were coming up, do you remember one piece of advice that someone may have given you at some point that has really stuck with you throughout the years? The guy that I used to work for in that salon, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was training, he was really quite (laughs) ferocious. (laughs) And really, you know, I was a, a little, very small boy, you know, and very kind of nervy and stuff like that. And it was like, in those days, you know, you would stay there till eight o'clock at night, sweeping the hair and sorting out the pins from the hair, washing them for the next day. I mean, you know, we're talking about a long, long time ago when all those things were happening. And I used to sometimes like, be, I'd go home crying. Yeah. And he'd just say to me, you are going to be a great hairstylist one day. Never mm-hmm. give up. I'm telling you. And he was he was a really great hairstylist, even though he had this salon in in, in a local area. He'd come from Vidal's and and he he opened up the big Carita salon in London eventually. And you know, so that was like you know, he just drummed it into me. He's just like stick with it. It's going to happen. With it just because going. you're going to make it. You've got a gift, and you're going to use it. And you know, just keep That's- keep going. You know. That's so cool that he could see that in you. That's yeah, amazing. yeah, it, it was because I was such a quick learner. You know, it was it was amazing, and I knew that I was confident in doing. I mean, it was like, you know, hair pieces. Once I got onto clients, everybody had hair pieces, and mm. you know, all those great big hairdos, and yeah. and I loved it, and I'd knock them up in like five minutes. Yeah. Beautiful French pleats and this and that. I was just, it was just amazing. I was, I was, I was gifted and I appreciate the gift that I was given to be able to do this. Yeah. In your element. And I think it's, it says something as well, just from such a young age, knowing 
exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah. So yeah. you could just completely dive into it. Exactly. I never, kept, I never thought, well, you know, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? I didn't. I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. That's great to hear. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> my I perfected all my cutting techniques, you know, to the Vidal Sassoon methods and Mm -hmm. so I was very proficient in cutting I love cutting hair and still do you know a lot of cutting privately as well as being on a movie and with celebrities and men and people so and I'm very confident my cutting is really good it's a good cut I can give a good haircut you know so I um, was gonna just just branching off from the hair cutting do you find that you um, approach a haircut on a wig differently than you do on somebody's head. Oh yeah, totally. And yeah. that was something to learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really was. I mean, that was like, you know, where you cut someone's hair and you're checking and checking and checking the cut. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Picking it up, checking it and doing that. There was there's a very strong element of that in my haircut. So yeah. I had to kind of marry that into the fact that that you know i'm dealing with a hair lace wig or i might be dealing with a machine made wig which is even Mm -hmm. more difficult Mm. in some ways so and the hairlines and the way it's sewn and so yeah there's a you have to develop a technique that works and you know sometimes i can have a wig here in my studio that i'm preparing to get ready i mean in the past this is how it's been a lot of well i'll cut it and always leave it much longer than I really want it because mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to go away and I'm going to go back in and I'm going to look <laughs> at it and mm-hmm. I say, no, no, that's not right. I've got to cut mm-hmm. this and got to go like that. And then you've got your, you know, your thinning shears, you've got your razor, you've got your, you know, to take out, to get that balance and to get what you want done, whether it's contemporary or whether it's uh, a beautiful period piece that you're going to actually set and make even hide the cut in a way. So that is an art, an absolute art. Cutting wigs is an art. And I watched a lot of people doing it, you know, a lot of people here. I learned a lot from 706 hairdressers, I can assure you, being in L.A., things that I hadn't learned in in England because I'd had the, you know, I'd been given these wigs all dressed so and keeping them up was not yeah. the same as starting them from scratch. From scratch, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So once I was starting to have wigs made here, you know, with Renata and with these people and with those people and different fabulous wig makers, it, it, I was, you know, it was coming from scratch and I was having to learn and watch and use all my talents to make everything look fantastic. I mean, I definitely approach wigs a lot more gentler than I do somebody's head because I know that it's 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 not going to grow back. Once it's done, you can't hide it. You can't. I mean, you really really can't hide anything, a mistake. And I I do really, I, I feel like I cut, yeah, I cut a wig completely different to how I cut somebody's hair on their head and I don't remember anybody telling me that that needed to be the case it was just a I think I'm quite a a a go through feel with my cutting I'm not overly technically minded I think I'm more of an organic kind of feel yeah as I'm doing it and I think that's kind of how I would approach wigs it's just like yeah as you say just that little bit and see how it's sitting see what it's doing absolutely go back in and just easy does it little by little you kind of get there yeah 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 exactly exactly but the foundation of the cut 
comes from your initial learning yeah. of the cutting technique that Absolutely. you learn that you've learned that's in your brain that yeah. pattern <laughs> the pattern yeah. of the of the cut and the way you're going to you know and then you adapt it to whatever it is that your your subject in the, yeah. in the wig so yeah but that's yeah. definitely right yeah, so. you have that um, strong foundation, and then you go off from there. Exactly. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's awesome. the, it's the foundation. It's the it's that cutting foundation, that, that pattern that you know works. You know, yeah. and then you use it and uh, alter it around and what have you. Yeah, it's very cool, and it's very very gratifying. <laughs> very gratifying true. when it's done, and you yeah. look at it. You know, it's even more gratifying than. So, I mean, it's it's cutting someone's hair and then walking out the salon or walking out of your studio and or walking out the trailer and then saying I love it I love it mm-hmm. I love how it looks and it makes me feel so great you know uh, that's one thing that when I was always blown away by was mm-hmm. the first thing you know you people would look in the mirror and say oh my god I feel so great mm-hmm. the first thing they'd say is before it even looks great <laughs> because the the whole thing that what we do to people you know we touch their heads and we alter their you know, we make them feel relaxed and we're touching and moving and moving all around them and, you know, touching their hair and making it, you know, massaging their heads almost as we touch them. And then when it's finished product, I mean, they just love it. So I know it's pretty good. It's feeling. a great feeling, you know, yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I wanted to just chat a little bit about your resume as right. well, of course, because it's pretty incredible. I, I can't go past the man who fell to earth. What do you mean? Just you because, can't go past it. Well, I can't go past us oh, not talking about it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to chat about it. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I wanted to ask: yeah. did, did David Bowie come in with that hair color, or did, was that something that was designed for the film? Well, he he had used the hair color, I think, in the old days of or a variation on that color in right. in in his acts and in his various different things. So he kind of knew that he wanted me to get and bring with me to New Mexico the Igora color because that's what I can't remember the number of it but Mm -hmm. it was an Igora tint and he said that's the color I want you to bring and so obviously I did but it wasn't like that when we started you know and it so we did he kind of you know we did it together he mm-hmm. knew what he wanted, and we made it happen with the blonde, with the you know the, the red and the blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then his hair was very different shape, obviously very quiffy and all that. Mm. So, you know, I, I I did the haircut, and he loved it. He absolutely loved it, and it was a wonderful experience. That first meeting we had, and first doing the hair the first time just, we did the hair uh, yeah. color and collaborating the i guess it's yeah. quite a collaboration it a, it was, yeah it's always a collaboration it's always got to be a collaboration you know if you're working with someone like that and of course there was the script which was mm-hmm. so intense and there was nicholas rogue mm. who had talked to me about what he saw right. and then there was the reference pictures that you know he'd seen from paintings of icarus you know falling from the sky and all that s- stuff mm. so all that worked into our discussions, the three of us. I would say the four of us, because Linda was involved, Linda DeVetta, who I'm not sure if you've ever come across. She's the most wonderful, wonderful makeup artist mm-hmm. in England. And she was the department head makeup on the film. So, And she was the one that kind of 
found me, called, you know, told Nick about me because I was just new. I'd done Stardust and I was on new on the circuit. Mm-hmm. So I suddenly had this phone call, you know, from New Mexico. I was about to do this film with Alan Parker, mm-hmm. uh, Bugsy Malone, with all the wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. it'd been going on for a very long time and I'd been working for, for Alan, you know, for years. And he said, but it was not greenlit. And I had this phone call from Linda in New Mexico. And she said, you know, we met briefly, you're so-and-so and so-and-so. And I I know that you'd be perfect for this film for David Bowie. And would you consider it? And I, what, what are you going to do? I mean, I just... <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I said, yes. And uh, he, she said, well, we're going to get your script over and Nick's going to call you and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And so that all happened very, very, very quickly within like a day. Wow. And, of course, I had to go in and see Alan and explain the situation to him. Mm. And he said, listen, he said, this is an amazing opportunity. We're not greenlit. We are going to go eventually. We don't know when. He said, please, take this film. We are, we'll always be friends. And it's some, you know, this will be fine. You just go off and do this amazing project. And um, so that's how that started. And I got on, you know, they organized it. My son was 18 months old by that time. And Mary Mm -hmm. came with me and we flew out to New Mexico. And and take it from there, you know, and then yeah, yeah. but yeah, the Bowie cool. the Bowie look was collaboration with David mm-hmm. and Nick and the alien character that we created. So it, it's timeless. I mean, I I have so many compliments and so many almost fan base about yeah. that. Yeah. I, I have to say that I almost when I was when I'm looking at it, I feel that maybe Ginger Spice was inspired by that hair colour. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Spice I'm sure. Girls. Yeah. It, and then she yeah, because she had the, the orangey colour with the with the blonde streaks in the front. Right, she, right, <laughs> right. Oh yes. It, I mean it's it started a whole thing. And so, and then of course, you know, the actual shooting of the movie and the being mm. with David every day and for all those months being accepted into his entourage of I mean not he didn't have an entourage as we as you you know like everybody trooped around together it was yeah. very 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 small you know and but he 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 was he was just the the best and it was very intense the shooting of the movie and he was in a very intense state at that time. And we all know update, everything about David. You know, I mean, we know about his drug habits and we know about all this stuff. His incredible intelligentsia, you yeah. know. So his moods and everything like that were, and the aspects of it, you know, were very, very intense. Yeah. And Candy, at the same time, I was creating all those looks for Candy Clark, all those amazing period looks, you know. And then we had the, the special effects coming in to do all the alien stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and we were all involved in that, you know, in a way. So, in our own way. So, it was, it was, it was an amazing shoot, you know. And then we came to L.A., finished off the work here. And then we went back to, I went back to London because I hadn't yet moved to, to Los Angeles. Okay. But at the end of the LA shoot, David said to me, you know, he said, please, he said, I'd love it if you joined me on my station to station tour because I want to keep this whole look going and, you know, this whole man who fell to earth look and would you do it? And I, well, that was just like the icing on the cake. So yeah, for the next sort like, of, yes. yeah. So I had a break. And mm-hmm. then the tour started up and, you know, and off we went. Every few weeks I would fly off somewhere and uh, do his hair and keep the colour going, keep the cut going. 
be a backstage all the time you know it was amazing amazing that's very cool that he incorporated that into his tour for then like when the film comes out all these yeah like that's that's very it's a good idea yeah 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 he he, he was amazing and died too young and quite extraordinary how his yeah. life turned out but never to be right. forgotten i mean just oh absolutely of, not no, oh my goodness music <laughs> music and everything is yeah. weird well, I mean, yeah we love the weirdness we, we love, love the it weird, love the weirdness. <laughs> now keeping with the music theme i mean you've done quite a few projects that involve music yeah. somehow yeah. so there's like xanadu where you've got oh my god singing skating dancing and i'm sure a lot of sweating yeah, yeah <laughs> looking yeah. how do you stay on top of well, something that like amazing. that <laughs> that was fantastic because that that was kind of like really the culmination of my entire dream Right. Of coming to Hollywood and working on a Hollywood musical. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that was just astounding. I mean, Gene Kelly was in it. That's amazing. Olivia, <laughs> you know, I mean, the whole thing was just amazing. Everything was filmed in Hollywood. Yeah. And the amount of different kind of hairstyling that we did in mm. the movie, you know, with her and all the muses and then all the punk people and all mm. the models and all the 1940 sequence with Gene Kelly. I mean, it was it was a whole big design situation, a lot of hair color for all those punky, wonderful things that we did for all those dancers, yeah. working with those dancers every day. I mean, when wow. you're working with dancers, it's like, fantastic yeah you know every day is like you know it's 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 so much fun and once again i had an enormous crew Mm -hmm. of hairstylists coming in and out we shot everything in la we shot sound stages you know hollywood sound stages hollywood center not hollywood center there was a a a studio down on las palmas i think i can't remember what it was called and then the pan pacific we shot a lot in there and um on location in santa monica and Amazing. So, I mean, do you approach something like that differently for the dancers and things like that, just because you know they are going to be so active? Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it was a big department, you know, I was a big, it was a big department head job. And I had wonderful, I'd met Candy Connery. Do you remember? Have you ever heard of her? She was a wonderful hairstylist. She's not with us anymore. And she was my second. And, you know, I was pretty still pretty green, you know, in LA, you know, I mean, it was my first big film here because I just got all my days on a film called Coal Miner's Daughter, which we shot all in Kentucky and uh, all, you know, Butcher's Hollow and all that stuff down there and the Grand Ole Opry. So really, you know, doing Xanadu and being my first department head job here was a real challenge. But the years of 1979, 1980, 81 mm. was so crazy, you know, mm. in LA and anything, you know, I was riding so high on, on my energy level and, and each thing that was handed to me about the script and these crazy producers, uh, Joel Silver and Larry Gordon, mm. they were the, they were, you know, the producers on the movie. And of course they wanted everything to be such an extravaganza. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I had a free hand. I had a total free hand. And the dancers all were very helpful, you know, with keeping their hair right, coming in mm-hmm. in the morning. If I'd done it, if it would have been done the day before, they would make an effort to come in with it looking pretty much, you know, together. And we mm-hmm. wouldn't have that much to do on them. 
And once cool. the colours had been done, you know, yeah. there were a lot of changes that we would make during the day. And then I was looking after Olivia, almost like a personal, well, yeah. as a personal. And so it was, it was, it was an amazing project. It really was. It was a one in a million project. It really was. Yeah. And so other music ones you've been involved with too. Can you tell me how you became involved with The Wall? I guess it's with Alan. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, with Alan, you know, he's very eclectic, you know, with his filmmaking. And he approached me and I'd just done a film with him here Mm -hmm. because I was still living here at the time, Shoot the Moon. So that kind of cemented our relationship back from me not doing Bugsy. So we were, you know, that cemented our relationship back. And then I went back to England, not because of that, not because to do the wall, because, you know, we'd been here for three or four years, Mary and I, everything in the union, got into everything, got our green cards, got, you know, I did some other beautiful movies with some lovely actresses here, worked in all the big studios. But somehow there was something missing in our lives and we felt we needed to go back to England. Mm-hmm. to get grounded yeah, because we kind of lost ourselves in this kind of excitement that happened in three years of that took over our whole lives. And we had two young children and we had, even though we didn't have our home in London anymore, we had this house in the countryside that we'd kept, this kind okay. of country cottage type place that we'd always said we want to live in one day. Mm-hmm. And we went back to England for the summer, for the kids' summer holidays oh, nice. for six weeks. And we stayed there and that's it. We said... We don't want to go back. We're not going back to Los Angeles. We're going to live here. We're going to stay in the country and we're going to dedicate our lives to getting the kids in school and da 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 da. And so we did. But then I continued to do. Alan Parker then offered me the film. And uh, so that was another mind blowing situation. Yeah, I was going to say, you seem <laughs> to get wrapped up in these insane scripts. <laughs> so that was unbelievable that you were yeah. going to go to work and listen to playback for the. Pink Floyd every day. Wow. It was an amazing situation and an amazing story and amazing, you know, the wall had just come down. And and there was this cartoonist called Gerald Scarf who was did all the work on all the Scarfian characters within the movie that Mm -hmm. had to have all those weird hairdos. Yeah. So there was all that side of it, as well as all the period stuff and all the contemporary stuff that goes within the film, mm-hmm. you know, the flashbacks to the 1940s and, yeah. you know, all that. And then the modern pop stuff that was going on and then the Scarfian characters that would be played within the movie. So there was a lot of design work in that. And, yeah, it was just another yeah. enormous challenge. Absolutely. And I mean, were you, were you a fan of Pink Floyd before you started? Yeah. I mean, obviously they were, yeah, I mean, like David, Pink Floyd, and, 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 and they were all there at the moment of mm. our, the right time of our lives because mm. we were growing up with all this stuff mm. and music videos were starting. And so all these imagery was coming through that was allowed, you know, more imagery, more imagery, you know, more imagination, more imaginative stuff was coming through on the screens. And Absolutely. we were all getting so swept up in it, you know, in that yeah. whole time. So, And then Bob Geldof is in The Wall, Bob which Geldof, is... Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and all what went with him, you know. And, I mean, you know what it's like. You get so involved with these people and their lives and, you know, all the people that are around them. 
Paula, his wife, and was all a TV star. And it was just and working with Peter Frampton and Paul Englander, Barry Richardson, who was the second on the movie, and amazing, amazing. And just, as I said, going into work every day, listening to that soundtrack, playback, as we filmed, was, you know... I mean, it's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. I mean, you just were swept away every day from, you know, you couldn't think about anything else at all. That's amazing. Yeah. And then Alan Parker takes you to another, another musical level. situation with Evita. Yeah. And, you know, when I worked with Alan, I had the most amazing confidence because he really, really loved me and really had such confidence in my work that he never really... We'd worked together for years and years and years on all these commercials, you know, the, yeah. the different types and different this and different periods. And, and so he was always left it to me to a degree. You know, he knew that I would work with the actor. He knew that. But it wasn't like somebody who was never in my face with, well, can you change this and can you do this? And it was like, you know, he, it, 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 once he'd seen it was going to work, he was absolutely good with it just left me to it and so I was back in England and I was working back in the British film industry now you know Mm. after having this long long hiatus in the country and so I was back into that thing and he got in touch with me and he said I'm going to do this film Evita which was Mm -hmm. of course one of my all-time favorites you know stage shows I mean that's exciting to get told that then yeah (laughs) and this was like at least six months before the film mm-hmm. was to shoot. And he said, you know, I'm interviewing all these people and Meryl Streep and these Liza Minnelli and in Madonna wants to do it. And he said, I don't know. And this and that, and the other, we were had dinner, you know, and this is the conversation. He said, but whatever happens, he said, I want you to do the hair on the movie. Yeah. And I said, well, thanks. You know, amazing, amazing. Anyway, the way it turned out was that, you know, Madonna, did do the movie she pushed Mm -hmm. herself in she wrote to alan she begged him to do it that it was her (laughs) thing to do which it was because she was perfect for it and and then of course he said to me well you know now we have to get through that because she's going to want to have all her video people and so this is a big battle that you're going to have to get through Mm -hmm. and uh, and we're going to be laying down the tracks for the next two and a half months Mm -hmm. and so meet her and I did, and she was adorable, and we, she accepted me. We went, you know, for that, and then he employed me right then and there, he, two okay. months, two and a half months before, mm. and I would have meetings with her when she wasn't, you know, me, you know, doing the recordings, laying down the tracks, looking at old footage, trying out hairdos, practicing all the looks that we would be doing. She was very, very involved, very, very controlling, but good. And I, of course, had my technical side of it with the the pieces that I was having made and the the hair laces and the the various different, you know, loads of different types of hair pieces, braids and this, half wigs and hair lace wigs. and Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, organising the enormousness of the department head the department, the hair department on this film and crewing up with my crew who were amazing. And so, yeah, that's how that all came about. And then we started shooting in Pinewood and then Mm -hmm. went to Argentina. Oh, wow. Cool. For like two and a half months and everything intensified greatly 
you know, with, sure. with Madonna because she was Madonna. And mm-hmm. so every day was a, was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Every day was a challenge for yeah. me, for the costume designer, for, you know, for everybody, really. I mean, she was just very different. She wasn't yeah. like your actress type. You know, she approached the whole thing very differently coming from a music world. But she was amazing. You know, and then there was Antonio and then there was, you know, Jonathan Price and there was the family to take care of. And, you know, my crew were amazing, which came with me from England. So, you know, then we went to Budapest. By the time we got to Budapest, she discovered that she was pregnant. And so that changed everything with her mood swings and her way that she was. And, you know, and we shot that picture six days a week. And wow. she was in every single scene. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she had like one week off when we did all the Antonio war stuff on the streets of Budapest. So, (laughs) and then we came back to England to finish off all the studio stuff, all the interiors. And of course she was now had this little bump. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't wear all the little dresses. They all had to be let let out. Everything had to be changed. It was a, it was a massive, massive design, keeping it going, nervous on on it the whole time yeah wow i mean just everything from yeah madonna to a period film to six days a week i'm working with her you know yeah. and, and dealing with her every day it took me a long time to get over that i i took me i, I was living and breathing for two months or so in fact yeah. till i saw the premiere i was right. just living and breathing and worrying about every single thing that i'd done mm-hmm. you know how it was going to look and because I did 52, she had 52 different hairstyles in that movie. Wow, that's amazing. And the way it all worked out. So anyway, yeah, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, it really was. And uh, it did look beautiful. Yeah. And uh, it's timeless. And uh, she did a great job. She was perfect. She mm. was Eva Peron. And, you know, she did a great job. She looked amazing. amazing. She thanked me so much you know at the end she said you know this and that i've been a bitch i've been this, but you know my hair looks gorgeous thank you <laughs> and that's all i wanted to hear because that's what we want that's what we do we want to hear, hear that we've been a nice person to work with we don't want to <laughs> hear i mean what we want to know is that everything we did mm-hmm. up there on the screen we can be proud of and not cringe in our seats when we're looking yeah, at it, you know? Exactly. That's, Absolutely. Where, that's where we come from. So, you know, well, I mean, it was, it was, it was massive, you know, Jamie, yeah. because, you know, once we got to Argentina, we had three weeks of training. I had to find all these hairstylists mm. to match, you know, we had this great big warehouse where we had all the fittings, you know, how it works with fittings yeah. with all the, the clothes and all the, you know, all the hundreds and hundreds of extras and the, all the, the singers and all these amazing people. And I had put a team together of hairstylists from England and from America that I'd met this wonderful girl. Her name was Rosa Beloga. And I'd met her on this other Alan Parker film that we'd done called The Road to Wellville. And I knew that she was going to be perfect to handle the background. So I got her them to bring her over. And we would we had these amazing warehouse where we would have all these people come in. And then we had to find hairstylists in Argentina, people that worked in the theater. They weren't a film people per se, stylists, hairstylists. And we'd have to train them up to do everything we wanted them to do and had all the wigs and boxes and boxes and boxes. And so, yeah, that that was that was that was an enormous undertaking. And at the same time, you know running around and getting Madonna, meeting with her and finishing up her looks and all the stuff that went with that. 
and then packing it up and going to Budapest, which had just come out of its Cold War situation. And there were no studios, mm. all locked up, no hairstylists. So I had my crew and my background supervisor and they all, you know, she flew out ahead of time. And, you know, we had always had searching out for resumes of hairstylists that did opera, that did theater, that did salon work. Mm-hmm. And we got the people together eventually. And they were fantastic. And they even opened up one of the studios and allowed me to go in there and look at all the hair that hadn't wow. been used for years and take stuff that we could use. Oh because that's where we did the enormous crowd scenes of the funeral with mm. thousands of extras. And they weren't wow. CGI'd. Yeah. So, you know, we had at least 2,000 people Goodness. and the church and the whole thing. And, you know, yeah. so... Yeah, it was, and then back to Pinewood, yeah. So when you're heading a department for a film that is on a scale like that, what what do you think are some of the necessary skills that you have to have to actually, well, just make all of what you've said happen? Yeah, first of all, you've got to have the backup. Mm. You've got to have picked your team that you know is going to be with you. Apart from what you've researched about the project, which was in this particular case, it was up there on stage it was Mm. in drummed into my mind the pictures the hairdos the whole aesthetics of the look of the thing Mm -hmm. so apart from all the variations of how alan was going to shoot it but but the most important thing is to get your crew together and once you've got your crew together and you're secure about that then you can all work together to get the thing together you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, I did the same system with the wigs. I, I, we had a stock of wigs from Wig Creations and Bermans from of three or four hundred wigs that we carried with us for the last eight months. And so being prepared in those ways on that particular movie mm-hmm. was vital. I had the backup of Alan, yeah. which was always so relaxed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to kind of be freaking out about production at all in those days you didn't freak out about production that much in those days when you were working with directors and producers that you knew that trusted Mm. you and that had brought you in for that specific project i mean she was my biggest anxiety because this the nature of of who she was and what she expected and how she approached the situation so but i was confident with my crew we'd worked out all the family the looks the background my background supervisor so everything kind of it was amazing how it just flowed it did it it, it really flowed quite well you know i mean there was a lot of anxieties but uh, yeah but it's a big big gig (laughs) yeah but basically that's it if you you've 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 got to have a crew that you trust that trust you Mm -hmm. that you've worked with that you know that into the project like it's in their blood and are going to make it work and they'll be with you for the duration, which in that sense of the word, everybody, everything worked out great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think it, it just, yeah, you can sleep at night yeah. knowing that yeah. you've got a team that have your back and that if you if you might forget something, yeah. they're going to pick it up. And yeah, but travelling traveling with the main, the, 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 everything one needed in the way of hair, was is is kind of like a big boon. I mean that you've got all that sort of fixed. It's all going to be changed. It's all going to be changed for different scenes and different looks. But it's all there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You're not sort of thinking, oh my god, I've got to run around and find this and that and the other. You've got all that, you know, stock that you're you're taking with you of hair. So organisational skills for sure. 
for sure, for sure. And, <laughs> Planning. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, you only learn by trial and error. And, yeah. you know, I mean, and I was very, and, and excitement, and this excitement of being this challenge was, you know, fantastic. Yeah. So. I think it definitely does help to be passionate about your work, doesn't it, to get through something as, as big as That's that. It. I mean, you, if you're not, then forget it. Yeah, go so back true. and work in, behind a chair or something. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. So with Hitchcock and Love and Mercy, with recreating actual historical figures, or not even historical, Brian Wilson. So a, lo- a lot of biopics, yes. I was just going to ask how how you approach that type of project. So with the recreation of actual people, living people, or past obviously getting as much reference on them you know mm-hmm. which is all out there because they're famous people so you know you can you can grab whatever you need about the way they looked and then working it into the actor that you're working with what you need to make that look work mm. so i mean cuz it's not always doing it exactly no, is it cuz no, it may not exactly, work exactly exactly i mean yeah I mean, with Helen Mirren for Hitchcock, her character of Alma, you know, his Mm. wife, with that red, red hair and that sort of rather strange haircut that she had Mm. in the 50s, uh, late 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. So, yeah. And Helen is very knowledgeable about Mm. wigs and characters, playing characters. So I worked a lot with her you know, on creating how she wanted it to suit her face, you know, which was a lot of cutting, you know. I had all her wigs made in London. And, I mean, I wasn't in London, but had her wigs made in London by Alex Roos, a fantastic wig maker. I don't know whether you know her. Always made a lot of wigs for me as well in London. Yeah, I've I've hired a few wigs from her. She made all Madonna stuff for me. Yeah. And so from that score, but... Um, working with Helen on that film. Mm. And then, you know, obviously the Anthony Hopkins recreation was down to Howard Berger Mm -hmm. and his team and my contribution of, you know, the hair to get that completely right with him. But that was a lot of, a lot, a lot of time spent testing that look. Because that balance, right, isn't it? You know, as you know, with prosthetics, it starts mm. off in a very, very, let's say, heavier way and, mm-hmm. and then starts to kind of strip off slightly. You yeah. Know? And that's a decision from the producers and the director, and that's also a decision from the actor, how he feels under all that stuff. And then, you know, Scarlett, working with Scarlett, getting her wigs ready to play the Janet Lee thing mm-hmm. um, was a joy. <laughs> I mean, I was so excited, you know, to be working with Scarlett Johansson and to be creating this uh, period look for her. And and Jessica Beale, you know, creating the looks for, for her. So a lot of research, mm-hmm. background research. Once again, a good team of people I had. My friend was the director, Sasha Javesi, and he had absolute trust in me. So that was cool. But the producers were very intense Mm. and many, many, many. They wanted to see so many different variations on everything. Mm. So in that sense of the word, it was quite challenging from the producers and the executive producers' point of view, which is kind of getting to your question about the difference in in today's filming and, and how it used to be done. 
with the interference of the studio and how they want or how they think they want to their actors and actresses to look. You yeah, know, so many more people have an opinion exactly. that they need to get in there exactly. now, don't they? <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's like a committee. Options, options, <laughs> options, you know. Yeah. But they don't want to pay for it. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But but we got, you know, we got some great results and it looked beautiful and uh, everybody was very, very happy, as they yeah. always are, you know, in the end. And you, <laughs> By the end only, yeah. and you end up doing what you first started to do in the first place. Funny. Because oh. you're copying what the character looked like, you know, and you're making some subtle changes because you're working with the actress and making everything nice for her and making her feel comfortable but you're Mm. basically keeping to that look that you want to copy it is funny that you can go full circle like that yeah so you've been personal for a few actors over the years like johnny depp penelope cruz jennifer anderson so what do you think is important to remember when you're in that position well you know, you're first of all, from the film point of view, is to blend them into the film so that you're not your work isn't standing out as something different to what the story's going on and the way that the department head is approaching it with all the other characters in the movie. But you are kind of very involved with your with your actor and your personal side of things that they want to have it certain ways. So you have to kind of find that happy balance with them that you're going to make it look, you know, marry into the look of the movie as well. From the hairstyling point of view, that is. From the storytelling point of view. But, I mean, I loved, with Penelope, I loved working with Penelope. I mean, she was just a dream to work with. And first met her on Blow, and that's when I first met Johnny, even though I wasn't looking after him at that point. It was V. Mm -hmm. And uh, Candy would be his personals. But and from then on, you know, I had a great relationship with Penelope and would travel the whole world. I mean, not just to do movies, but we did so many, you know, commercials in Madrid and places and different stuff. And Sahara we did in Morocco and a lot of Spanish movies. So I had a very varied time with her. A lot of Cannes film festivals, very glamorous, very glamorous traveling mm. with it's very glamorous traveling as a personal. It is. It is far more glamorous. And you're you travel in style and it's all very nice and you know and and you have that wonderful relationship. I mean, after Pirates One, Johnny asked me to be his personal on Secret Window in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paddy York was the makeup artist. It it was an amazing time. Amazing time of being with Johnny learning about him and being, you know, around him all the time in his whole world, even though we've been around together on Pirates Mm. very intensely. Once again, it's always an an honour to have worked with someone and then to to them to say, you know, will you come and be my personal? So that's great. It's given you, you feel that they want you. Do you know what I mean? That They they Mm. like you and they want you around. So that's great. But... It's just part of our job, isn't it? I mean, you've been a personal and you've been a department head, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's like if we can if you can keep the two things going, you know, some people just want to be a personal. They don't want to be bothered by being a department head. And I think that's a shame because they're missing out on a tremendous challenge within the film world and within their craft. Yeah. I think it's nice to have that variety. It's so nice to to have that variety, yeah. yeah. But it can be a pain because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're always on call. Yeah. And When are you going to go to the bathroom? 
exactly <laughs> always on call and production are on your back as well you know about mm. this and that and the other so but i i've enjoyed it i've enjoyed being personal and but i love being a department head i mean you know w- when you are a department head and you're working something like madonna like elita for instance well i was yeah. a personal for madonna so i had to juggle that's why you need that incredible team of people that you've sorted everything out and you're mm. you know that you can be secure that when you're locked up in those tr- in her personal trailer and with yeah. her for 12 to 14 or 16 hours a day and you can go to the set and know that when you get there everything looks fantastic yeah it's amazing I mean, I'm always involved, you know, as soon as I get there, I'm looking around and I'm checking everything and checking this and checking that and checking the other. But basically, it's always good, you know. Yeah, because you've having got... that peace of mind so you can get on with what you need to get exactly. on. Exactly. With. So, you know, you in, in, on Xanadu, I mean, I was like personal with Olivia, you know. So. And do you find, like, while you were working with Madonna doing that, was yeah. did, did you find that she was, like, consciously aware of the fact that you had an entire production that you were heading, not only looking after her? Because <laughs> I think sometimes <laughs> it can be forgotten. Do you know, know what I mean? I, I, I love that question, <laughs> especially with her. I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, it really wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It was about her. And, yeah. you know, I mean... The time that it would take to get her out of the trailer, not just from my point of view, you know, all the jewellery, the the options, 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 options was her favourite word. So whatever she'd been decided was going to be worn. And as I said, she had 52 different hairstyles, so many different hats, so much different jewellery, so many different outfits. Mm. And what they put out the night before, she would change the next morning. So, I mean, it was like, yeah. No, to answer your question, no, I don't think she was aware that. Of all... I think that can just be a little frustrating at times, can't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, she just she expected to walk on the set yeah. and that the whole thing was ready to go, which it was, because that's yeah. the way Alan worked. That's so, awesome. you know, there's amazing scenes with all the opera singers and everything that we would go on and on, you know, taking doing take after take. Mm. And she'd just come in, she'd sit down, and then the whole thing would happen wow. and she'd blend into it. That's awesome. You know, and she was perfect. She knew her That's stuff and, and everything just flowed. But it's the director, it comes from the top. And he, 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 he was one of the most amazing directors. He knew every scene. He knew every way he was going to cut it before he was going to shoot it. And yeah, he was, he was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Brilliant. I think that can really make your job a lot easier exactly. when you have someone. Well, if you're working with, I mean, if you, yeah, I mean, if you're working with someone like you know Michael Bay or who they don't know really what they're looking for until they see it. Yeah. So you shoot five thousand takes. It's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky. Anybody that would tell you that they've worked on all those movies with all those kinds of directors, you know, yeah. just very very challenging. Yeah, I think it's one of the first things that I will notice and just have gratitude for is when I notice the director, yeah, has a clear vision and they know what they want. And it's like, oh, this is going to be great. Okay, good. Yeah. But I've worked yeah. on the other ones as well where we were oh, yeah. there. You don't, you're there till five in the morning. Still working it out. Yeah. 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 No, I understand. I mean, you know, it's a form of art so yeah everyone does things differently yeah and then the whole whole approach you know to pirates was was pretty amazing i mean that was 
phenomenal. You know, that really was. So, well, I mean, you were setting. Did you did the first one? You said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were I, setting that up for, and I, I worked on the last one. I feel like if you haven't done a pirates film, like you've been hiding <laughs> under a rock. <laughs> right. Well, I did the, I did the trilogy, yeah. one, two, and three with Gore Verbinski, who once again is a director that knew exactly what he wanted, and you know all the research. I mean, I was also asked to do that film at least five months before we started right. production, nice. and I was able to get my crew together. Fantastic crew from here. Lucia Mace was my second, and she was brilliant. Penny Rose, the costume designer who I'd worked with for years in England. And so there were a lot of good stuff already that we all felt good about. And it was, you know, it was done in the old Hollywood way, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It, It was just before production had started to get really heavy. So you know, we had all the great stuff. We had all the great warehouses where we would have all the great fittings and the clothes and the wigs and the nice. and the whole thing. Yeah. And then the design of all the pirates, all the crazy looking pirates. Mm. Uh, a lot of the cast were all from England. The creation of Kira, of her, you know, her character. You know, I first met Kira when she was 16 in London at a pub because I was in, in England. And she said, you know, he, Gore got me to go and meet with her. Yeah. And we, you know, came here and we, Change her hair color. We added extensions. We did a whole whole thing to create her Elizabeth Swan character for that first one. Wow, she's a baby. And uh, yeah, and then and then the, the creation of the of of the Captain Jack wig, which was you know the crowning glory of that movie, really yeah. was amazing the way that happened. Yeah, because I never had any real input from Johnny, you know, mm. until like two days or three days. He never he never came in for his fittings. He had some fittings for costume in remote places where he was, but we'd never really gone into it. And I just knew that from Gore and from Penny that he had this image of sort of braids and beads, and maybe a headscarf or this and that and the other. Yeah. And so I started putting together, I had some wigs, lots of different wigs of my own that, you know, I kind of put together. And having worked with him, I knew about his hair. So yeah. I, I kind of put this wig together, this three-quarter wig, and we added lots of braids and beads and hanging things and a few dreadlocks. And he came in and I put the wig, you know, V was there and she'd worked out his little beard and stuff like that. She had mm. a fantastic bead box and we got it together. And uh, he came in and he, he said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I just put this together. I, I think it's kind of maybe on the road to what we think you might, you might like. And, Penny had bought me a hat in and a headscarf. Yeah. And so this, I put this three-quarter wig on him and just the scarf. And he said, oh, my God. He said, how did you know that something like this was going to work? I mean, this is amazing. We can work on this. <laughs> and so from that point, he collaborated on adding more beads and on adding more bits and pieces here and sorting out a different bead that he loved to get in place something that I'd put there or whatever. But I did design the initial kind of design for it and then we took it further and yeah and then it became further and further as we went along from two to three you know we added more length this and that so that was that was that was an most amazing experience absolutely i would say that the pirates i did was probably a lot more tame than maybe what you were doing because we weren't well we only had i think maybe two or three days where we 
like literally shot on water. Right. Everything else was on ships, on gimbals. Right, and, right, right. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Well, the, on Australia, <laughs> I can imagine. But on Pirates 1, 2 and 3... I mean, we were all over the Caribbean. We lived in the Bahamas for seven months. Yeah. You know, we were evacuated twice from hurricanes. I mean, it oh, was God. the most incredible experience, most yeah. incredible four years of my life. And in the middle of that, I did a film with Kira Domino, where she mm-hmm. played this amazing, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Tony Scott movie with short blonde hair, fighter. Oh, you wow. know, she was a, a kind of street fighting girl. Mm. So and then putting her back to Elizabeth Swan for the yeah. two and three. So it was it was an amazing four years, pirate years, really special. Absolutely. I mean, you know, everyone knows Pirates of the Caribbean, don't they? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So over the years working in this industry, what would you like to see more of in our line of work going into the future? Well, I think that what we have going on at the moment is – very 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 strong production value Mm. on tv you know the storylines and the production value the makeup and hair that is put out there is of the highest quality it really is so and the streaming and the stuff that you see on the you know netflix and amazon and all that kind of stuff is such high quality I'd love to see it go back into cinema. Yeah. We're in a completely different situation at the moment. Obviously, as we don't, there are no movies, there are no cinemas. So everything we see is on TV. Mm. But, you know, I'm hopeful that it's going to go back up on the big screen and, and everything's going to be fantastic, you know, again. So, yeah. uh, I mean, the direction, I think it's just going to get more intense as time goes on because it has become so intense. And people are so on top of their work, makeup and hairstylists and prosthetics yeah. are so on top. I'm working on this, where well, we're working on in the middle of, because we're closed down because of the pandemic, but this project called Angeline, about this wonderful woman, Angeline. She was just a notorious woman that lived in L.A., still lives in L.A., and had this most amazing life. You either know about her or you don't. So it's an amazing recreation of her from the 60s right the way through, well, actually from the 50s right the way through to the present day. So it's a tremendous amount of period work and prosthetic work, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, I spoke to Vincent Van Dyke yes. and he mentioned, yeah, you're doing it with Kate Biscoe. Kate Biscoe is a department yeah. head makeup who is amazing. Yeah. I've <laughs> never worked with anyone quite like her before. Her organization skills, apart from her techniques and her amazing makeup work, yeah. just fantastic. You know, every time you work with people, you know, great people, you learn so much. Oh, absolutely. Even after 45 years of working in the industry, working on Angeline and working with Kate has taught me so much more about various organizing skills and Mm -hmm. production stuff to do with our craft. And obviously working with Vincent and watching the amazing prosthetics that he's been doing on, on Emmy Rossum and other characters has been incredible. I I, I, I sincerely hope that we're able to finish it. I think you will. But that's a te- TV, that's a television thing. Yeah, it's a peacock. And yeah. just briefly, she did, uh, to sum it up, did she kind of become well-known and famous through promoting herself? Yes. Like putting herself yes. on billboards? Yes, yes, yeah. that's the one, yes. And is she she's still driving around LA she's in her pink little car? She's still driving around LA, <laughs> and she's still selling all her stuff out the back of her car, 75 years old. Thing. And so we, 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 we've gone to that age in the movie. 
Wow. So That's we've cool. shot a lot of that stuff, you know, and she did a lot of stuff to her body, you yeah. know, with enlarging her breasts and, and, and altering her whole shape and her face and, and wow. plastic surgery, which we've, we've recreated in every single way and these enormous hairdos. So I, I, I'm really hoping that we're going to be able to finish it, you know, so and get it out it, there on the screen. They want to, but it, because it's just the nature of the film is so on the street we just cannot shoot it until things have quietened down we can't go shooting on a sound stage it just won't yeah. work we have no. to do it where it's supposed to be done so yeah that's that well that's something to look forward to absolutely yeah 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 <laughs> it's yeah. exciting yeah now i wanted to ask you i ask everybody this so if you were set up at work in your trailer and I was to take one tool or product away from you, <laughs> what would you not want me to take? What would you be like, no, I just don't want to do my job without that? Well, obviously, my scissors. <laughs> okay. Because I love my hair cutting. Yeah. But my daily, you know, usage would be my selection of Mason Pearson brushes. Okay. Beautiful. You know, from the babies to the big ones to the all the different. I I I love using those brushes, and I find go-to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, I imagine with all the period work you've done as well, they've been invaluable. Yeah, and for contemporary, I mean, you know, as well. You know, I I will always try and finish off a blow dry with a Mason Pearson brush. Yeah, because it just gives that shine to the hair after you've kind of stretched it all out and done whatever you had to do to it with a round brush or this or that the other. I always think, you know. Just the, that smoothing it out with various product or whatever and using a Mason Pearson at the end with a dryer is always gives it that lovely kind of sheen. What do you think it is about the Mason Pearson that does that? Well, it's just the, 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 the way that it's the bristle, the mixtures of the bristles, the different, yeah. the different types of the brushes, you know, the different types of way it's been made. It's just that quality, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's amazing. And now, Martin... Who would you like to hear on the podcast? <laughs> well, there's a number of people, obviously, always. <laughs> I think I'd love to hear V. Neal. I really, I love V. And she has had and still has such an amazing career and mm-hmm. of work that, you know, varied that, yeah, I, I'd love to listen to V go through That's it all. Really- yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Martin. It's been amazing. Great. Well, I'm, I'm pleased and I'm very uh, honoured that you asked me so uh, that I joined the other people that I saw the names of. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay, darling. Thank you so much. For links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people. 